Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Once again, welcome to Four Corners. And this is Andy Ehlers. And in just a moment, you're going to hear part of his story, his journey with the Lord over the last couple years and some amazing things God has done. But before we jump into that, this week in your mailbox, if you have been a faithful supporter of Four Corners Church financially, you're going to receive from me a letter. And in that letter will also include your 2016 contribution statement. You can use that and say to the IRS, give me back more money. That's a really, really good thing. Um, But if you have any questions about that, anything going on, you can email us directly. You can email me and I'll get it to our our, our, our executive in charge of accounting and that sort of stuff. Her name is Ilza. You can also email her directly. But if you can't remember her name, just get it to Ben. So the letter looks like this. Again, thank you for your support. We can't do it without you. We are so grateful. Here's a little update financially. Um, The end of this month, next week, we will end our Christmas gift campaign. This is where we raise a little bit of money to help some major initiatives around here. And you guys are incredibly generous. Counting the money that was given for the Christmas campaign and the money that was given for the Judy Heron Memorial Fund, we're at about $88,000. Yeah. That's not bad. So what that means is if we could just get a couple more thousand bucks, we'll hit the full 80 on the Christmas campaign. And with the Judy Hare Memorial Fund, about 16. Uh, that's a really, really, really big deal. If you haven't given, please do so. We're, hitting, we're shooting for 100% participation. And next week, on the last week, I'll tell you exactly where we fell. I think you'll be happy, but there's some room for some more people to help us. All right, so Andy, welcome to the stage. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about you, Andy. Tell us about your family, where you're from, and what sure. you do for a living. Sure. Um, so I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, started dating when she was a freshman and I was a junior. So we've been together... 19 years. Wow. Uh, married for 10. Um, uh, Amy is her name. Um, I also have two daughters, uh, Penny, who is seven, and Brooklyn, who is four. And Penny is involved in gymna- gymnastics. Yes. Yeah, very heavily involved. Uh, started doing competitions this year, which I didn't realize how much time investment that really was. Time and, and money. Yes, yes, that too. <laughs> yeah, money, money is... Yeah, definitely now, big. Amy serves uh, some with our kids' team. She's very creative. Yeah, Amy is an art teacher by trade, um, and she does a lot of the stage designs back in the in the kids' area. Yeah, and when we uh, when we did the big mural a year or so ago, she was instrumental in that. Where do you serve around here? So I serve in, um, maybe a little biased, but one of the best teams in here, I think, in the worship arts team. So hopefully on a good day, you never see me. But on a bad day, I might be up here on stage uh, getting Ben's table or doing stuff around here. Yeah. So. All right. So tell us a bit about your background spiritually. How, what, what was your experience with church before coming to this place? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up uh, Lutheran, um, and I basically went to church uh, for the first 15 years of my life. I went to two services because uh, my mom was an organist. So... In my mind, I think I got covered for about 30 years, but, you know, <laughs> don't know if that's seen that way. Um, then, um, and that, I grew up in Indianapolis, moved here to Cincinnati. Um, when I was about 22, 23, just really just kind of stopped going to church because all I was doing was just going to church, not really any spiritual impact for me. Um, it had become routine. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... It was after my oldest was born, two or three years, 
wife and I would talk every now and then, like, hey, we really need to find a church, we really need to find a church. Okay, yeah, we'll do it. Never happened. Well, how did you end up here then? So, um, by happenstance, I uh, took a new position at work, and I ended up working right in front of uh, somebody that uh, was volunteering on the worship arts team. Uh, I would see him come in to, to work wearing a 4C shirt, so after about three or four weeks of seeing those shirts, I'm like, all right, what is, what is this about? He ended up explaining, you know, hey, it's church, non-denominational, come in and check it out. Let me know when you're going to come up. And so I think it was that next week, it was, I brought uh, my oldest with me. Um, walked in the doors, very friendly staff. I don't believe Bubba was here because I did not see him, which would be very rare. Unusual. Rare, yes, yeah. yes. Um, but... Being very hesitant, I didn't put my daughter in the kids' area. I brought her in here. Um, and just an amazing service. The, the one thing that said, okay, I need to come back, happened that very first week. I can't remember the song name, but the band did a performance song, and it was by Poison. I'm like, all right, you know what? This is where I have to go. <laughs> so not that your message wasn't great, no, then, I, but. <laughs> I'm just here. I'm just here. Uh, it's all good. So, so you connected. Yes. You connected. Now, your yeah. daughter did not go to kids' ministry. Not that first week, no. So tell me, so you guys begin to attend with some regularity? Yeah, yeah. I went home my wife. I'm like, hey, you've got to go to this church. you got to check it out. Um, so that next week we came back. We attended, uh, put our kids in the, the kids' area, um, and I think almost instantly fell in love with the church and uh, more importantly, like a lot of your messages were, were great, Finally. connected. Yes, yes. That's so not awesome. just about the music. <laughs> so tell me what kind of feedback you get from your kids. They, they love coming here. Um, it's, it's a lot of, um, like, we start routinely doing prayers. Um, they'll come home singing songs. Uh, I've, you know, I listen to the radio through uh, Christian radio. They'll pick up songs. Hey, we did this one at church. So they are really enjoying the, the kids' atmosphere. We have an amazing team. Absolutely. So tell me about what the Lord began to do in your life, in your marriage, with your wife. I mean, I'm hearing a little things already. Prayer becomes a part of your routine at home. Yep. Uh, Christian music, not just poison, right. becomes a right. part <laughs> of your routine. But what else is the Lord doing in your life? So it was... Um, our, so our marriage, um, Amy and I's marriage, thought was, you know, really, relatively well. We started coming to 4C. I think it got better just um, being back in church in that atmosphere and then really connecting. But it was about a little over a year ago uh, when Four Corners offered the Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. Um, my wife and I both signed up for that step. Hey, send us information about this. Um, in my mind, as soon as I checked that, I was thinking, there's nobody who can help me with my finances. Uh, they were such a mess. Um, you know, we hear from my parents, my wife's parents, oh, you need to save, you need to save. Don't, don't do this, don't do that. But never, I guess, a means to really do that. Um, so that, uh, but we made um, a commitment. Uh, paid the money to get the book, came to the class. Um, it was the third week, which was talking about uh, the debt snowball. 
Um, so this is the principle that you take your lowest amount of debt, pay it off. The money you were given to that, you go up to the next step, you begin to contribute that, and yes. little by little, you build the snowball, right? Yes. Rolling down the hill, getting momentum, and you begin to tackle your debt. Yep, yep. So the, the best thing about that, you know, definitely seeing the numbers as they could go, um, but getting everything out on paper. Because um, you didn't really know where you were. You knew oh, it no. wasn't good, but you didn't really know where you were. Yep, and there's some things, you know, like my wife knew I had a Best Buy credit card. Didn't know how much was on it. Okay, so that's really that's good bad. for your marriage. Yes, yes, that is extremely <laughs> helpful. Hidden credit cards, boy, everybody so, wants that. Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was, it was eye-opening just to see everything. Um, and we're doing this together. So we put these numbers on a sheet of paper, um, and that part was was eye-opening. So um, I did bring a slide um, with me to show what my debt. Uh, By the way, is. this is incredibly vulnerable and bold of you. I am blown away by your transparency, to uh, be honest. So these are real. Yes, these are this real is numbers. You. This is a right around probably a little over $50,000 in debt. And that's and not counting the house. Primarily consumer debt. Yes, yes. So a lot of credit cards, some improvement loans we did at the house, the car. Um, What'd you buy at Sam Ash? A guitar. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So you start out, you're $50,000. $50,000 in debt. Um, We're talking somewhere between 9 and 19% interest on those cars. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, um, so within that same week, we were also challenged to do our budget. So my wife and I sat down. We're doing this as a team now. We know what's out there. Thinking, man, I don't know how we're going to do this. I honestly, that... So this happened in September. November was coming up, and I didn't know how we were going to make our mortgage payment for November. We were just that bad off. We did our budget, and I believe I did it four times because I had money left over that I didn't know where it came from. So huge eye-opening because I figured, you know, I messed up somewhere in math. But if the, this budget was the key to saving uh, what we do. The, this budget is everything to us now. Um, so a year, two months, three months. Uh, in hey, before we get to the yes. good news. Okay. What, what kind of dynamic shift is there in the relationship with your wife? So not picking on you, but mm -hmm. you went from some kind of hiddenness, always yep. bad in a marriage. Wherever there's hiddenness, sin is lurking, distrust is always bad. You go from that but now you're having incredibly candid conversations. Tell me about it, the tonal shift in your marriage. So, I mean, it, it was dramatic once we started doing this. Um, communication became 100 times better. Yes, we still fight about things, but they're You know, you're the fights. only people in church that do that. Right. <laughs> We're praying for you guys. <laughs> Thank, no, you. Totally Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> um, we don't, however, we no longer fight about money. It was easily, hey, uh, our, our budget management before this whole thing started was, hey, we don't have much money, don't spend. And if she would go somewhere and spend five bucks, be like, why are you spending money? It was just that bad. Boy, that, and that constant stress about money, it, it doesn't do well for a man. It does not. Um, so looking back from today, from when we started, there is a very good chance that my wife and I would be talking about divorce right now 
if we had not had 4C in the way with Financial Peace University and the great support from everybody here. It's, it scares me now. I didn't think we were really that bad off, but um, looking back, I think we really were. It's, it's amazing, Andy, when, um, when people who are Christians, but they're not applying the life that God, the truth that God gives us, just the discontent it can bring, but how quickly you can get up to speed when you start walking in obedience. Because really that financial peace stuff is just the book of Proverbs put mm -hmm. to a, a kind of a modern plan. You know, don't be slave to the lender. Yep. Manage what you make. Be a good steward of your... These are Bible principles that Christians are called to. All right, so a year and some months later... A year and two months later... Tell me where we are. We are now down $22,000 in debt. Woo! Um, it's, it, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. It, the first month was rough. Like you mean you started out to make a change in the first month was hard to keep up with. Oh man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But for whatever reason, whether God was pressing in on us, the times that I wanted to spend money, especially going out to eat, my wife's like, no, I've got food here. We're going to eat vice versa. So that first month we almost counterbalance each other. Like, no, we're going to stick to this budget. We're not. That's really, partnership. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was great. Once that first month was passed, it was just easy. It really was. You began to immediately see some positive movement. Yes. You knew where you were, where you wanted to go, and you were working together. Yes. That's yeah. pretty, pretty potent. It, it, was, it was pretty powerful. Um, and the, the money is just the, the part of the story. Money, I feel, is both good and bad. Like, <laughs> Tell I me mean, about that. So the... You know, if you have money, it's great. Um, I found that I am a, a giver. I like to be able to give randomly to people um, that either need it or if I'm out at a restaurant, if I feel pressed to just pick up a meal, whether it's at Skyline or Bob Evans or wherever, I'll just randomly pick up somebody's meal. Like, that is the good part about money that you can use allows to, me the ability. You can bless people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Bad part about money um, is just what it can destroy. Um, just seeing where we were and how we never managed it, just how much it was hurting both of us. It, it, I mean, it, it's just, just unbelievable what that can actually do. Andy, if somebody's sitting here and they're saying, um, hey, there's parts of your story I can connect with, um, what, what encouragement would you give to somebody saying, so I'm in the church, I'm around, how would you speak to that person? I, I mean, first thing is don't don't be afraid. Like, I mean, I, I showed what debt I was in. Uh, they're just numbers. Anybody can can make a change. Um, there's people out here. I'm more than willing to talk to anybody about whether it's their finances. I, I, I'm no finance major. I'm in IT. So, um, but I used a simple Excel spreadsheet to get where I am today. So it's not complex system to do. Um, don't be afraid. There are tools. There are support. You don't have to pretend you got it all together here. Right. What else and, would you say? And we, you know, and you will have bumps in the road. There, um, there's things that, that just come up and you either forget the budget or you go over budget. Well, we've done that a couple times. And all you do is that next month, you just get right back on it. You don't keep, you know, going off the rails. Yeah. So that is the biggest thing is 
you're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen that you can't control. There are steps in place to help you negate some of that stuff, uh, like an emergency fund to save up money for these emergency situations. And it's not buying a new TV, which I found out, which was unfortunate. Because <laughs> you like Best Buy. I do. I do. Yeah. I like my electronics, you yeah. know. And a 70-inch yeah. TV apparently is not in the emergency budget. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping my wife's not here. Thank God she didn't hear that. Um, so, last thing. Um, so we're a church. We're really glad your money is better managed. You guys, your marriage is better. You have some practical tools. You're applying the truth of God in your life. I'm so thrilled. But our message is really about Jesus, and this is an implication of that. Mm-hmm. Speak candidly with somebody who's on the fringes of engaging church in the Lord. Just tell them what's on your heart. It- if you're just sitting out here, you don't, you know, you want to connect, but you don't know how, start somewhere simple. Like, plug in somewhere that you think, you know, you can, you know, do either a little. What I started with doing was, uh, in this room, was stage transitions. I would bring Ben's table up. That's where I started. Um, I have grown and done a lot more, but the key to growing is getting yourself around a good group of people and volunteering. That's, that is where I think I grew the most, and that's all the support I get from you know, Pastor Will, from the tech team, the guys up here. They're a constant feed of support, and that, that, I think, is what you need for any situation in life that you're dealing with. Yeah, that's really good advice. Hey, I'm really proud of you. I'm so glad God sent you guys here, that our kids' team is robust and your kids enjoyed it, because that's a big deal. I'm glad that our worship team sang a song that connect with you, and God used a really, un, well, not at least not a Christian song right. to reach in, to <laughs> grab hold of your heart initially. He'll use anything. Yep. And I'm glad that you stepped forward in boldness. Andy, in a real way, you are why we talk about real love now. Don't put on a mask. We'll accept you right where you are, and then we're going to ask you to turn around and help us do the same thing for everybody else. Thanks for being a part of the team. Would you guys help me say thanks to Andy for sharing Thank your story? You. We're proud of you, bro. Thank I'm going to give you a hug. That's Thank awesome, you. brother. So, so good. Hey, in just a minute, we're going to open up God's Word in the book of Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. But the one thing I want to press you on is that this is a place of growth. We say to you, come as you are, but the truth is, is we try to love you enough that you don't stay there. All of us have room to grow. And one of the things that we feel uniquely that God has asked our church to do is help people to grow in their marriages. So on February 10 and 11, we have our second annual 4C marriage retreat. There's information on it on the back of the program that was on your seat. The thing with the map on the back, there's information. $50 a couple, that's a lot of money, right? So if you can't afford it, we will cover it. We have generous people here that will write a check for you, and they'll be glad to do it. But if you can't afford it, it's the best investment you'll make. It's better than going out for dinner this afternoon and spending 50 bucks together as a couple. Much better than that. February 10th. The problem is, is we're filling up. We only have room for 50 couples. All right? So when you leave today, you can sign up at a giving kiosk right there. You can go to our information desk, and they can get you signed up right there. At 50, we turn it off. And last year, we were incredibly overfilled. Um, or let me just say right size to the room. This year it's 50 and uh, registrations are going up. But if you were wondering what this is about, we have a little video to show you a little bit about the tone and the direction of this Four Corners 
marriage retreat. It's called Us. Pay attention to the video. Are y'all married? Uh, hi, yes. Uh, oh, yes, fantastic, because our church has something just for you. It's our church's annual Marriage Palooza extravaganza. Come next Saturday, listening to 13 different speakers telling us how our husbands aren't good enough, how they're not home enough, and how us wives can change their devilish ways. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> Tell them how great it is, Frank. It's great. <laughs> Well, please tell me you're not making this go to that. Are you kidding? I don't hate you, honey. Oh, no, thank you. Oh, she's still there. Uh, um, right. Are you okay? Wow. That is not us. And that is not this church. We just want you to become your best us. You forgot your flyer. That's not us, all right? So this is not therapy. This is hope. This is help. This is encouragement. February 10th, Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, we'll have some videos we watch. We have some discussions we're having. And most of all, you get to have an opportunity to build relationships with people going in the same direction with you. All right. This is the last week for our Joy Message series, Philippians, Philippians, Philippians. Um, I put the wrong at the top of your message notes right here, I put the wrong Philippians passage and verse. It's chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 12, I have no idea why that's up there. Totally my fault. So it's chapter 4 is where we are. And the words are correct, just the numbers are wrong in your program. All right? Let's read this together. It's near the end of the book of Philippians. Um, I'll read. You follow along. Here's what it says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, we're going to focus on that word if you want to underline it, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, you set out from Macedonia. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but a desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul learned. Paul learned to be content. He said at one point, he said, I learned the secret of this. 
So I want to end our time together about 10 weeks in the book of Philippians, going verse by verse deeply through the passage of Scripture. I want to end our time talking about a handful of secrets that maybe you have not yet had exposed to you. And if you have known these secrets already, perhaps you can have a really healthy reminder. And if you're walking in these secrets already, I want you to be encouraged. In fact, I'd ask you over the next few days to find a way to share some of the story of how God used these secrets with other people to encourage them. One of the things that makes our church work is, is that we believe that God's work in an individual is not just for them. It's not just for you, but God wants to use that story to encourage other people. Now, let me tell you a story. This story happens in a Midwestern town. It's about 1930 or so. Something very exciting is going on. The circus is coming to town. And there are posters all over the city. And every little boy and girl wants to go. And so the date is marked right there on the poster. And sure enough, on that date, early in the morning, the circus train begins to roll into town. Full of animals, giraffes, elephants, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Clowns, trapeze artists, all kinds of wonderful things. Remember, this is pre-internet pre-cable television. Everybody's not going to the movies every week. This is a big deal. This is the hottest thing to hit all year. And there's a little boy. And he's with his mom and dad downtown doing some shopping. And he sees the crowd begin to walk in one direction out towards the train station where the lions, the giraffes, the tigers, the bears are being unloaded. And there's excitement. And he Asks permission, and he goes with the, the crowd down just a few blocks to the train station, and he is thrilled, and he asks somebody what's going on, and they say, it's the circus, it's here. And he's happy. He's thrilled. This is the biggest thing. And so he stands and he watches. And one by one, they unload the cars. Okay? They unload the tent. The lions come. He had never seen an elephant up front, and he sees an elephant. There's a giraffe. Incredible clown, all kinds of incredible things, one by one, unloaded off the train, making its way to the circus ground, where they're going to begin three days of circus for the region. And he stands there and he watches. Five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes. An hour, hour and a half goes by as they're unloading the train. And people are just so inspired and excited by what they're seeing. And finally, the last car is unloaded. The last person makes their way from the train towards the circus grounds. And the little boy turns to the man standing next to him and he says, this is the greatest thing. And he turns and he goes home. Now, in that story that happened over and over and over again in America from about 1915 to about 1950 and even beyond, that same story was played out over and over and over again. Here's what's interesting. That little boy thought he had seen the circus. In fact, what he saw was pretty impressive. It was pretty amazing. It blew him away. But he hadn't seen the circus. He saw the prep for the circus. It was still impressive. It still excited him. It was still a wonderful day and still inspired his imagination and, you know, filled his dreams. And, 
But watching the train unload is only preparation for the circus. Here's why I'm starting with that story. It's really possible hanging around church stuff, engaging scripture. It's really possible to have a similar kind of experience as that little boy watching the circus train unload, believing he's getting everything the circus has to offer and yet actually missing the whole point. It's really possible to do that. Sometimes, in my experience teaching high school, about six, 700 different junior and senior students over the course of just a handful of years, it, 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 often I would hear the story of as they would go to college, as they would get a little older, get married, I'd hear them say things like, I've tried church, and honestly, Mr. Hodges, it just didn't click for me. People would say, I went to a Christian school, that was the context I taught in, and I, I looked at the Bible, and honestly, it just didn't click for me. I've heard people who've come through our church on occasion, when they're honest, and we love that around here, you don't ever have to be afraid of that, they would say things to me like, I tried it, and it just didn't click. But as I've looked at that, I think that often what's happened is they've had an experience like the little boy watching the circus train unload. It looked impressive. It was impressive. But it wasn't the whole point. They had a connection, but it wasn't to the ultimate thing. And I'm going somewhere with this. Just hang with me. Last week I said to you that we're making some changes around here. And it specifically relates to our message today. One of the ways we're making some changes is in our small group ministry. Here's what I've observed. A handful of people over the years have said, we tried small groups. It just didn't click with us. It didn't work for us. Well, that, that breaks a pastor's heart. Because I know that when you get around a group of encouraging people on a serving team or in a small group, you have an ex you'll have an experience. You should. We hope you have an experience much like Andy had. Deep encouragement over time in the right direction. Lots of fruitfulness from that. So I started really paying attention over the last couple of years. God was stirring my heart about the direction of where we're headed and generally good, but there's always room for growth and tweaks. And I started thinking about it this way. I'm hearing a lot of people say, for, as an example, I've tried small groups, but it didn't click. And I know that that's an important part of growth. We get out of rows, we get in circles. So I started drilling down on that. And one of the areas in which we're bringing clarity for this year that I think you're going to find exciting and enjoyable is clarity on what a small group is. So let me just tell you what a small group is. And this is a little more clarity than we've ever used around here. And that lack of clarity has given us really unacceptable results. A small group is when people get together in a smaller group of people, not Three to 400 people, or I guess in this case, maybe 220 or so here. I don't know. They get together in groups of maybe 5 to 15. 15 would be the high end. So it's small. And here's where it gets more pointed. They open a book or the Bible, and they begin to discuss together biblical truth. 
So maybe it's a Christian book that uh, it deals with a, uh, a particular slice of theology or a particular application in life. Or perhaps it's a book in the Bible that they're reading together. But it's biblical content, and some of it's taught, and then it's talked about. So it's a smaller group of people. It's biblical content, and it's talked about, not just presented. And they pray together. There's some prayer about the needs that people have. You have the ability to be a little bit more vulnerable if you want. You can say, hey, we're struggling with this, or we have this opportunity in front of us. And then your people in your small group pray together. It's smaller. It's biblical content. There's prayer. And here's the last one. They meet together frequently enough that you get past the awkwardness of I don't even really know these people. So there's a certain frequency of meeting. It's not a one-off. It's not two. But maybe over 12 weeks, it's six to eight times. And you're past the awkwardness of not knowing somebody. So let me just be clear. If you've tried small groups, but your small group was not a smaller group of people who opened the Bible or a book about the Bible, and there wasn't tangible prayer about the needs in the group, and you didn't do it long enough, let me be clear with you. You didn't try small groups. Now, we called them small groups when we got a group of people together and they went bowling. And going bowling with your friends is very important. It's biblical. It's called fellowship. But that's not a small group, technically speaking. And if we're not careful, what we do with lack of clarity, is as we tell people, you kind of get close to this and you got the experience. This year, we're making a distinction between small groups, which are smaller groups of people, Bible content, prayer, and frequent enough meeting to get past the awkwardness of, I don't even remember their names, and other things that are important like just getting together and having fellowship, going to the zoo, going to King's Island, um, getting together and having lunch together. Those are all valid. They'll still be in the catalog you'll see next week. But I don't want you to think you tried small groups because you went and rode roller coasters at Kings Island. What you did was valid and good, and it's biblical fellowship. But that's not a small group. A small group is a smaller group of people. We open the Bible, and we talk about it. We're encouraged to engage it verbally together. We pray about the needs in the group, and we meet together enough to get past it. Let me be clear. If you haven't done that, you have not taken advantage of one of the greatest movements of spiritual growth available to you. Even if you did what we encouraged you to do and got involved in things we called small groups. I need to go one more layer, and then we'll talk about some secrets. Some people say to me, church didn't click. Now, often... What they mean is I'm just not enjoying that dynamic, and that's fine. But I want to be clear. Did you realize that you can come and stand in a church building and do it every Sunday? You can do it 50 out of 52 Sundays a year, two for vacation, and still not have really done church. This happens in a church sometimes that is as volunteer-driven as we are. We are a very robust volunteer organization, and we actually do it fairly well. Not perfect. We've got room to grow. But what happens sometimes is people who are so committed to their serving team, they go to their serving team and they show up week in, week out, 
and they check in their mind the church box. But they're not really doing church. Let me tell you what church is. Church is and has been ever since the disciples started doing it. When people get together and they open their hearts to listen to some kind of explanation from the word of God. So if there's not Bible, there's not church. Period. If there's not Bible, it's not church. Christians have always gotten together and done Bible. They always get together and they sing songs. This is very biblical. They sing songs. There's always prayer. Those are the three ingredients. And they do it with some regularity. Frequently enough that it gets past the thing I'm going to, that I go to when I can, it becomes the thing I'm committed to being a part of. And so when students would tell me things like, I tried church and I drilled down, what I discovered is often they were going and they were being in the environment, but they weren't engaging an open heart and open mind as the word of God, the Bible, was explained. Sometimes because the churches they went to didn't do much of that. It's not a criticism other than if you don't do Bible, it's not church. Pure and simple. And sometimes they went and they did other things around the church environment, but they were never in the corporate environment when the family of God gathered and lifted their voices together and sang about the awesomeness of God. Or when there was an opportunity to prayerfully reflect on what they heard, they weren't engaging that. And so there's no wonder then that while they were impressed and inspired and moved, they missed the circus. They watched the train get unloaded. But they missed the circus altogether. So let me just say this. If you're struggling with church, I'd love to talk with you. But let's make sure it's actually church and not the things around church. Your serving team isn't working? Well, find your new one. It's good. Fine. But what has to happen, friends, is we have to regularly come and open our hearts to hear from God's word. So as we're sitting out on the new year, two big changes we're making. It's the clarity around what a small group is, and we're encouraging everybody to get into a small group. Now, you can still ride roller coasters, go bowling, have lunch, all that will be in the catalog. It's all good. We need Christian friends. It's huge. But a small group opens the Bible, discusses it together, prays about the needs in the group, and meets together frequently to get past the awkwardness of, I don't really know these people. And then we're also encouraging you to engage church. Come together in the corporate setting and open your heart to God's word, which means if you sit in the lobby, it's not church. If you serve every Sunday and don't come to church, it's not church. And if you hate that, what you hated was the train, not the circus. That's clarity our church needs. Because God has an amazing year for us. And I want you to walk with us. And I want this to be, this is the only thing I'm praying for. The biggest year of spiritual growth for you. And we're going to do all we can to help you grow spiritually. And I hope it helps your finances. And I hope you make friends. And I hope you enjoy it all and you like the sweet tea and the ice and coffee and But church is, I come together and I open my heart to the word of God. 
And we sing about an amazing God and the impact he's made in the world and our life and it lifts our hearts and lifts our spirits and lifts our heads to look not just at the world around us, but look at the Lord who's in charge of it all. And we pray about the things that are going on. And in our prayers, God moves us. He convicts our hearts. He encourages our hearts. That's church. And so if those are the things that you fell out of love with or people you know have fallen out of love with, that's a problem. But if they fell out of love with a particular serving role or a particular style, they didn't fall out of love with church. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, two big things were going on. He was telling them how much he loved their partnership in the work they were doing together. And this last section is so full of meat, we could spend three weeks on it. But it's also not that complicated. So we're going to buzz through about four things in about seven minutes. And in it, you're going to discover a handful of secrets to your joy as a Christian. And in it, you're going to discover core engagements, core engagements, that if you do them, have a remarkable, consistent track record of producing real joy in your life. And if you're missing joy in your Christian life, it could be that while maybe you're doing a lot of good things, You're kind of like the boy enamored with the unloading of the train and doesn't even realize there's a massive circus yet to be had. Here's secret number one. Avoid comparisons. In chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That word content, two parts of our English word, con, which has the implication of not, and the idea of tent, the idea of of, law, uh, of lodging, lodging. I'm not lodging there. I'm not content to deal with. I'm not going to stay in the place where I am feeling lack of peace. I'm not going to stay in the place. I'm not in that kind of environment. I'm instead, I am content. I'm not dependent on my circumstances. I'm not making comparisons, but there's a peace that goes beyond my place. It's not my place. It's not my circumstances that makes me content. Paul says, I've learned whatever the circumstances are, I've learned to be content, to be without place. I'm not dependent on the situation. Timothy writes, or Paul writes to Timothy these words, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we're going to be content with that. There's a way to learn how to be content with where God has put you in life. And that doesn't mean we're resigning ourselves to problems, but we're okay with being at peace with God in our circumstances. But comparisons will destroy that. Jill and I had just bought our house that we live in. We've been there now 18 years, and... We just moved into the area and loved our house, and somebody invited us to go to Homerama. And we paid 35 bucks to walk around houses that were 5, 10, 15 times the price of ours. I paid $35 so that I could feel very badly about going back home to my very nice house. Right? You know how that works, right? Comparison. Sometimes I'll jump on Facebook and see somebody's highlights of their life. 
And I'll find myself making a comparison. And when I make comparisons, contentment tends to drop. Paul says, I've learned to be content in every situation. Where you're finding yourself comparing yourself to other people, there's a place for you and I to lean in and learn a little bit about the dangers of comparison. They have a valid role, but they also sometimes can be the open door to the robbing of our joy. Secret number two. Learning what is unchanging as situations change. Life changes. We're making changes as a church. I spent a good amount of time to get clarity on that because I want you to understand why. We're making sure that if people reject our message, they reject the core message and not the wrapping on the message. That's what we're making sure. So I started it on Christmas Eve, Eve, if you were here. If you reject the Christian message, make sure you understand that the core Christian message is God loves, so God gave, and we believe and we can receive. That's the message. If you reject that, that's one thing. But if you just don't like the way you see Christians, that's fine. You can reject that. But that's not Christianity. The truth is, is things change. But we can have joy in spite of changing circumstances. But we have to learn what is unchanging as our situations change. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. One day, Paul was struggling. And that day turned into two turned into a month, turned into some period of time. And he writes about it in 2 Corinthians, and he says, I struggled, 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 and I prayed about it. In fact, three times he says, I went to the Lord, and I said, God, deal with this. And God didn't deal with it the way Paul wanted him to deal with it. His circumstance, his situation did not change. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes situations will leave us unsatisfied. But even in changing situations, there are some things that don't change. And it's often what you have to learn. Andy and his wife Amy had to learn that as their financial situation was beginning to change, what would not change is their commitment to work together. And that unchanging dynamic gave them power to deal with the changes. In your spiritual life, the fixed anchor is Jesus and his love for you and his grace that is available and the truth of his word. Those are anchors and everything else can change, but that doesn't. So what? What situations have left you unsatisfied? That's the blank. And what is unchanging in those circumstances? This is something you can learn. Maybe you're unhappy with your job, your health, your marriage, you're single. Okay, you can be unhappy with that. But what is fixed in that? And this is where our core message as a church becomes clear. In a world constantly changing. And man, haven't we seen a bunch of that over the last week? Surprise on every corner. What's fixed? In simple terms, it's the gospel. And that's why when you make an investment into the gospel and gospel work of your time, energy, your heart, your money, you're investing in things that do not change. When you are long gone, when this church is gone, when Coca-Cola is dead and IBM, and when the United States is in rubbles, 
however far away from now that that is, it will happen. If Jesus has not returned, the gospel will still stand unchanged. So we hold on to an unchanging hand as things change around us. That's why clarity on what we're doing with developing people through small groups, clarity on what church is, is so important because everything else is bound to change. Number three, the secret to joy. Experiencing power as Christ becomes first in our life. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. All what? All what? I can jump hurdles. I can swim faster than my competitors. I can hit a baseball farther than anybody. Is that what he's talking about? I can do everything through Christ, which means anything I want to do. No, 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 no. What he's talking about is, is when you put Christ first, the priorities are set and the rest of life goes better. I can do all that God has called me to because when I put him first, if he's calling me to it, I will be successful. I can persist in my marriage no matter how difficult it is because God calls me to that. And in that effort, I will be successful because I'm putting him first. So Matthew 6, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. So no, the question for us is, do you have your priorities right? If not, it's a joy leak. And if so, your joy can begin to grow and God will be with you. Secret number four, the blank there is giving. The Bible says here in this passage that giving brings joy and guarantees God's provision. I said to you when we started that this week, if you give to our church, you'll get the contribution letter. This last chapter of Philippians is really Paul's contribution letter. Thank you guys for helping me financially. I've been hungry. I've had plenty. But because of your gift, I have everything I need. My needs are taken care of. And he's saying to them, thank you. And he says, when you do that, it brings all kinds of joy to me. But it also brings joy to you. Andy said he loves to give. And one of the ways God can use money and blessings in our life is to bless other people. It's a source of joy. So in Philippians 4.15, a couple of phrases. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving, receiving, except for you. You sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And it's credited to your account. And then he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Look at these four things. The source, my God. Think about the source of meeting your needs, God. Think about the security, God will. When God declares it, God will get it done. And then think about the scope of what's promised here. All your needs. Now, when Andy went to Sam Ash, that guitar probably wasn't a need. He doesn't say all your wants. He says all your needs. And then what is the supply according to, here it is, his riches in glory. His riches in glory. So our four secrets to joy that sometimes are untapped for us and we're lacking in joy and we're wondering why we don't have joy and we've watched the circus train unload and we've said there's really nothing there for me. Sometimes it's because we're just simply missing the ultimate that God has for us. So our secrets are when we get involved in comparisons, we're probably going to lack joy. Our secrets are that if we can't learn what is unchanging as circumstances change, we're probably going to lack joy. This is true for churches. We've had to, over the years, over 12 years, make all kinds of changes. But because we've been able to hold to a few core values, 
we've been able to weather that. Your marriage can weather whatever changes come as long as you know what is the core that doesn't change. We have to learn to experience Christ's power, and that comes when Christ becomes first in our life. God isn't here to remove our obstacles. He's here to guide us through them. He becomes the source in our problems, not just the source that removes the problems from us. It becomes an issue of priorities. And he's here to show us that like he gave his life, our giving can bring joy to us and to the world around us. So the question for us on that last one is, is do you find joy in giving? Joy is God's heart for you. He wants you to have the joy and peace that he brings because of the work of Jesus. That's what he wants for you. But it's very possible to be just close enough to get a hint of what he wants. To, as it were, watch the train unload and miss the circus. As we end our study of Philippians, what I want you to do is I want you, I'm calling you, to double down on the core things that God is calling you to. And it begs the question, what is he calling you to? Let me just suggest a couple things. I think he's calling you to regularly participate in corporate church. And so if your serving is in the way of that, this week email your leader here and let's get that right. Because you will burn out and you'll blame us for it. And you'll think it was church that you burnt out on, but it won't be church. It'll be serving. And that'll be tragic. And the enemy would love you to serve your heart into hardness. So long as you don't worship God corporately with your family. So long as you don't regularly receive God's word preached. So long as you don't bow your head in prayer and humbly say, God, how does this apply to me? He would love for you to serve your heart into hardness. Don't do it. Don't do it. I think he's also calling everybody in this room to some degree over the course of this year, at some point, six, eight, nine weeks of it, to get into a small group and open the Bible and talk about it. Talk about it. And pray about what's on your mind. It's more than friendship. It's the word of God discussed through a book or through the Bible itself. And then we pray and we talk about it. And I don't know what else is on your list. But I know this, if you figure it out, God will open up to you joy like you've never known. Because that's what happens to Christians. Sometimes their circumstances don't change, but they find joy in their circumstances. Sometimes God opens doors of opportunity, and it's hard, but you know it's right. And so it's not a bad hard, it's a good hard. And you press on, and God brings joy in that journey to you. Sometimes he says, don't let go of that relationship. And it's hard, but you don't let go. And God brings a certain joy and contentment to you. And other times he says, let go of that relationship. And it's hard, but you let go. And he brings joy. When you follow God, what's the other end of that reality is joy for you. And it's the whole shebang. It's not some preview. It's not some hint. It is, as Paul said, Joy unspeakable. I can't even give you words to explain it. And it's full of God's glory. That's what's at stake for all of us. So why don't you grab out your connect card and let's put a couple steps on what we've talked about today. So next step A, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. 
pretty powerful what happens around here when people say, I'm ready for Jesus to be in charge of my life. If you haven't done that yet, let me encourage you to agree with what the Bible says about you, that you're not perfect, you're a sinner. Sinners need a Savior, and that's Jesus. Because he gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from the tomb, you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. If you'd like to do that, take that pen and check next step A. Put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service. And in a minute, I'm going to pray. And you can use my words. You can come up with your own and say to God, God, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Would you wash away my sin? Would you become the leader or the Lord of my life? I want to follow you from this day forward. And then I'll communicate with you if we get your email about what that means this week. Or next step, D. Uh, B, rather. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. So next week we have, I think, six people getting baptized here. Just a few weeks ago we baptized, you know, like five and... God's doing something pretty powerful. And so if you want to be baptized or you have questions, check it and we'll have that conversation. Hey, next step, see, who'll say, hey, Ben, I'll be here for the kickoff of Games People Play. Now, that's the message series I'm starting next week. It's about relationships. It leads up to our marriage conference. But even if you're not married, it's just relational principles. We're going to have some fun with this. When you come in, some of the games of your childhood will be out in the lobby and a little fun on stage, and we'll talk about how, how relationships can be a game, but God brings us truth that transforms it into something more beautiful. So if you can come to that, it kicks off next week. And the next step, D says, who, who will say, Ben, I'll invite a friend to the Us Marriage Retreat. So it's not just for you, but again, if you don't sign up soon, you're going to miss it, all right? So if you have a friend that needs to come be a part of this, they'll experience the real love now that we offer some incredible truth. It's not counseling. We're not going to fix anybody. It's hope and encouragement and some practical tools. So just check it, and we'll send you the link, and you can share that link with your friend, and they can sign up. And if they can't afford it, people in our church will pay for it. You just have to let us know. All right? You can do that at the information desk right as you exit the door. The next step be, who would say, Ben, send me some information about the 90-day tag challenge. I'm not even going to talk about giving, but if as, as I was talking about giving, you were stirred. Let me send you an email. You can read it. And if this is for you, do it. Last time we did this, 15 families stepped up to give 10% of their income to the Lord. And every one of them have a testimony attached with that. So if you want to do it, it's all I'm going to say about it. Check the box and I'll send you the link and you can think about it and pray about it. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I want to thank you that while we're not perfect, you're still working with us. That's true for individuals in this room. That's true for us as a church. And God, as we press in as a church into greater clarity to what you're calling us to, we're here to develop people, make disciples. God, I pray that you would honor our efforts. God, we're not trying to get bigger. We're trying to honor you more with our little family here at Four Corners. I pray, God, that your word would take on new importance for us that corporate worship would take on new importance for us. I pray, Lord, that there would be vulnerability and honesty in small groups, that even though we're busy, we would make it a priority to put your things first. And I pray, God, you would transform us because of it. Right now, Lord, I join with folks in this room that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I have nothing to offer you, so I receive what you offer me, full forgiveness and pardon. I accept it by faith. Lead my life. 
God, we don't want to be enamored with the unloading of the train. We want to step in fully under your tent and receive all that you have for us. I pray, Lord, for a revival of joy. And the joy of the Lord would be our strength. I offer it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.